Classical Education, a podcast that covers the foundations as well as the philosophical and theoretical ideas of classical learning in a user-friendly and, may I even say, interesting way. I'm your host, Dr. Darlene Gomes from Leading to Wonder, and I'm so glad that you could join me today. Before we actually get started in today's episode, I just wanted to take a moment and celebrate with you the fact that we have now reached the second month of the Grammar of Classical Education. Now, I know that in the grand scheme of things, only one month of a podcast is not that big of a deal. But I am just so excited that what started as a passion project has been able to reach so many people already in just a month. And it's my true prayer and desire that through this podcast, you are encouraged, you are strengthened, you are equipped to do the hard things in teaching, that you're striving for best practices. And I hope that that you've found this podcast useful. And I am so thankful that so many of you have come along on a journey with so many learning curves and that you've been willing to let me learn as I do this. I know I'm working with recording issues and one other issue that's been mentioned is speed. I just wanted to address that briefly because it is kind of funny. Any of you who know me personally know that Darlene Gomes and speaking too slowly usually would never be used in the same sentence. And yet, On this podcast, several people have said, well, you seem to talk kind of slow. I don't know. I think that in the back of my mind, little microphone in front of me and all of you that I envision beyond that, that microphone still slows me down a little bit. So I just wanted to tell you, I'm going to make an effort to not speak so slowly. But I have to warn you, It's an effort in my head. I don't know if you'll be able to tell a difference, but please know from the bottom of my heart that I am making that effort. And I'd like to ask one thing of you. If you have found that this podcast has been encouraging or challenging, or if it has helped you in any way, I would love to hear from you. I would love to have you share this podcast with someone else who you think could use this encouragement, whether it's leaving positive feedback on Apple Podcast or sharing this with someone else. It, in the long run, really does help me be able to make this a little bit better tuned to what you need. I want to be able to do so in a method that reaches and encourages you. So 
Thank you so much for joining me on this journey and woohoo! Happy one month anniversary. Let's go ahead and get into our chapter. We have finally reached chapter four or law number three in John Milton Gregory's The Seven Laws of Teaching. Now, by way of quick review, law one, the law of the teacher, basically says that you as the teacher have to know and to some degree have a passion about what you are teaching in order for you to be an effective teacher. Law two is the law of the student, which calls them for interest and attending to the lesson. But remember, it is not exclusively the student's responsibility. Teachers need to understand that there is both compelling attention and attracting attention. The difference between do you bulldoze their attentiveness or do you magnetically draw their attentiveness? Well, both may be needed, but being a magnet teacher is so much more effective. Now, as we move into the third law, it's kind of the bridge between one and two, which is the law of the language. Now, this week, as I was thinking about words and language, it seemed like there were examples popping up all over the place about the value and importance of words and language. In fact, I had the opportunity to attend the final presentation of an oratory competition at a local classical school. And the coordinator began by briefly speaking about the creation story. Did you realize that in almost every creation story around the globe, everything begins with things being made by hand or formed, except the Genesis story where everything comes with only God's word. It says, God said, let there be light. God spoke the world into existence. What an amazing reminder of the power of words and the importance and value God places on them. Now, John Milton Gregory does address that so strongly in this chapter. The importance of words and language and the fact that it is that communication between the law one teacher and the law two student, that that's the bridge, is, is the words and the language that we choose. Now, it's important to remember that there are three requirements. John Milton Gregory points these out and kind of refers back to them multiple times within the chapter. The words have to have the same meaning to both, they have to be clear to both, and they have to be understood by both. Now, it's interesting when you look at the fact that you as a teacher are standing in front of 
a group of students as a teacher literally thousands of hours of living experience more actually tens of thousands of hours of living experience more than those little minds sitting in front of you because of that it is clearly the teacher's responsibility to make sure that the words and the language they are using are understood by the students that that you all are talking the same language have you ever felt like that with your students where you're like honestly you want to look at them and say am i speaking english because i don't think i am you can tell by their faces if you have ever had that experience you are on this way to working with law three the law of the language um this difference and disparity came up again this week i thought it was pretty hysterical there were two middle school girls standing outside in the snow of course with no coats on and an older gentleman walked by and they must have had some kind of interchange of words and the little girls looked at him and said we are going to slay and the older gentleman looked at them and said one horse open and they looked at him and had no idea what he meant he looked at them had no idea what they meant well i have to tell you they were two little basketball players and by slay they meant s-l-a-y we're gonna be awesome at this basketball stuff we're gonna slay the older gentleman the slay was s-l-e-i-g-h as in the one horse open they were standing in the snow they were cold it was the funniest interaction but such a perfect example of how our words must be clear and understood by both sides and have the same meaning both ways when we look at things like this we have to understand that this can be a major hang-up for students learning because this language is the the vehicle is what john milton gregory calls it the vehicle of thought it doesn't just carry the thoughts to an empty brain and say okay here's the thoughts i'm taking them to the brain of my student it it conveys them with wires and and it requires the the sending and then the receiving and processing of them it's not what you as the teacher say in your words but it's what the student hears and understands and reproduces so you can say it all day but what are they actually hearing and how is that processing through their brain i love this little section by john milton gregory i'm just going to read it because i think that it gives us the best picture of where this can can go awry so quickly he says 
Men's words are ships, freighted with the riches of every shore of knowledge which their owner has visited. A child's words are but toy boats on which are loosely loaded the simple notions he has picked up in his playgrounds. That is an amazing picture. You as the teacher, especially if you're following Law 1, have that knowledge, have that passion, have that information to share, but your little ones have only little toy boats to put things in. So you have to resize and restructure the content to make sure it's understandable for their little toy boats to be able to carry. Now you add to that the complexity of the fact that words also not only carry the denotative meaning or the dictionary meaning, they have connotative meaning or the emotional meaning that goes with it. That is adding into the confusion that can come if a teacher is not mindful of the law three, the law of the language. John Milton Gregory goes on to make a statement that I would almost say we need to make as our goal for law three. And that is, he will teach most and best whose well-chosen words raise the most and clearest images and excite the highest action in the mind of his pupil. So basically, we have to be using the words that are going to be able to activate their brains to think further. Now, this also kind of goes into the law one, two connection. We have to make sure we take time to understand their words back to us. If teaching requires that pass in both directions, I give information, your brain processes it. I don't know if you really have that information unless you're able to pass that back to me and I can see through and look through what you're saying to understand that you've actually gotten it. As much as you can well think words, you have to be able to communicate those well thought words. You have to be able to interpret the student's well, well thought words back to you. Now, with this, he also moves into the fact that words are the instrument, not just the, the conveyance of the fact. More than half of the work of teaching is helping a child to gain the full and clear expression of what is already known imperfectly. What a scary thought. You are giving them words for ideas that they don't really have yet in their own head so that they can then process them. That statement by John Milton Gregory, helping a child to gain the full expression of what is already known imperfectly is somewhat staggering. 
as he goes on to say, if you are not giving plain and intelligent expression of the truth, the child is not going to be able to process that. The best example he gives is one that I think can give you a mental picture really quick. Picture David when he went to fight against Goliath. What did Saul put on him first? Saul put on David Saul's armor. Well, Saul was a grown man. David was a young shepherd boy. So the the grown man literally places on David the grown man armor and says, go fight the giant. David ends up taking that off using what he knows, which is his sling and five smooth stones. He takes what he knows and goes and does the job. When we give these great, wonderful, passionate ideas from Law 1 to our students as full armor of an adult brain, we are handicapping them from being able to do the job. So we have to take those big ideas, figure out how to communicate them to the small children sitting or medium size or large children sitting in front of us in a way that their brain can process so they can use the tools they have just like David used the tools he had. Now, this is the, the constant flow of the law of language, that teacher communicating, student processing, communicating back to the teacher. Now, John Milton Gregory also says, thoughts disentangle passing o'er the lips. The more we get our students to talk about what they're learning, it will help them not only clarify the thoughts in their head, but demonstrate their understanding and their mastery. So it's important that we don't just stand in front of them. One of the administrators I've worked with in the past used the expression, sage on the stage. You don't want to be just a sage on the stage teacher. That is a teacher that stands in front of his or her classroom and sends forth great wisdom and knowledge into their midst, but never checks their understanding, never determines if they are actually understanding the words and the concepts that have been communicated. Again, you don't want to be that kind of teacher. So as John Milton Gregory is winding this into teaching, he says, remember, language is a vehicle, an instrument, and it is the storehouse of our knowledge, meaning that is how we are able to communicate what we know. So with those things in mind and the understanding that it is a back and forth process between teachers and students also understand that those words that we use really have to go into their head 
But when we're dealing with newer concepts and ideas, make sure we've given them a base before we give them a word. Uh, this I cannot stress highly enough. There are so many odd terms that students will run into that you have to make sure they understand the concept before you actually put a word with it. So that's just something to keep in mind as you're dealing with their knowledge and their processing of the language. Now, he also uses thankfully the fact that it is not just vocal words that are part of teaching. Gestures are part of teaching. Pictures are part of teaching. Nature, things around us and analogies to those things are part of teaching. A drawing on a chalkboard is part of teaching. Now, I always tell my students, I have chosen to be a teacher. I am not an artist. If I draw something and I'm not sure it's clear, I will explain it, but please don't make fun of my drawings. You will hurt my feelings. <laughs> we have to have a little bit of a sense of humor when it comes to illustrations, but I will tell you, if you can put something visual in front of them, you are enhancing the law of language. It is not just a spoken communication form. So with that, we have to make sure we're giving out clear words, that we're checking that they're clear for the students, that they understand that they're processing and we're all on the same page, listening back to them. So how? <laughs> he goes on to, as he is with every section, he says, okay, here's the law. Here are the rules to follow that law. Really, we can sum it up in just a couple of statements. One, you have to know your students. You have to be able to look at them and listen to them and hear them when they're talking and talking through thoughts. You have to make them or let them talk about new ideas. The, the parents share kind of ideas in class are perfect examples of this because in smaller groups, they're able to talk it through and you'll see where those problems and understanding have come out. Another thing, which is a little hard for me, sometimes Fewer words are better, especially with smaller students. So keep that in mind. If the students are getting lost, you will be able to tell because they won't be able to communicate that back to you. Another thing he says is when you are teaching a new word, put it with an idea and connect ideas to words, not just more words to words. This is excellent for a vocabulary activity with younger students, giving them a picture to go with that vocabulary. But I will tell you, I have loved this as a vocabulary activity with the older students as well. When we were getting ready to review for a vocab test, I would do a PowerPoint with 
concept images. So I never used the word, but for example, there was a picture of a little girl. It was a kind of a dark night, little girl on a swing set all by herself. Well, one of their words was isolated. And so the students had to look through their list of words and say, okay, this image, what does it go with? That kind of thing can really help them solidify facts in their head using more than just spoken words. Keep their word list going, not just by testing, but by, by use of words and encouraging the use of words. The last statement he makes in his rules is along the concept of what we would call in classical education, festina lente, which is to make haste slowly. You need to make sure that you're building slowly, idea on idea, concept as on concept, not just dashing to the finish. I actually did a little research on the, the expression festina lente, and it started with Augustus and how he demanded military action be done, not rushing into battle, but being sure you've planned things out and gone step by step through the process. There are several other rules that he goes into in more detail, but I think those give you some of the foundational elements. And I want to end his rules with a quote from him that I think if we can get this in our mind, it will make a big difference in how we're able to assess their understanding in their language. He says, that teacher is succeeding best whose pupils talk most freely upon the lesson. Now that ends up his section of the rules and he then goes on for several pages about violations and mistakes with this law. Now, just to sum them up, first off, watch that they are not hiding a lack of understanding behind the smile and straight looking eyes. This is coming from experience. Please do not ever say, do you have any question? The younger ones have no idea what questions they have. The older ones just don't want to ask the questions and you have everything in between there. So I come to the policy of saying, okay, we're about ready to wrap up. We'll stop after I get at least three questions and then I stand there and wait. You will always get at least three questions and sometimes it can spiral into a lot more, but they just need the pump primed a little. So that's one violation. Don't let them hide their lack of understanding. Another violation and mistake is trying to sound, especially with older students, like you are the grand poobah of wisdom on this subject. That is not going to help them. If they do not understand, 
It is not because they are hopelessly stupid, as John Milton Gregory says, or because they are being willfully inattentive. That's not your first go-to. Your first go-to is, well, have I been clear in teaching? Now, I will admit, sometimes you can be clear in teaching and they're being disinterested or disobedient, but please don't make that your automatic assumption is that they just don't want to learn. Now, the last thing is that you have got to be willing to hunt down where the break in understanding came. After reading his section on this, all I could think of is, has anyone else hunted for a the break in a wire of Christmas lights where you go, okay, I know there's a problem here somewhere, but where? And you have to look at each one. That's really what this educational communication process is going to look like. You've got to take the time to look at individual things. In closing, John Milton Gregory gives some statistics from his time period about words and number of words, and I want to bring it into our time period. Today, there are approximately 170,000 words in the English language. The average adult has an understanding and mastery use of about 20 to 35,000 of those words, and an average 10-year-old's has a mastery of about 12,000 words. That is a very large difference. And what this law is helping us to understand is as a teacher, we have the responsibility to know where their language level is and to raise it up through our teaching. That is law number three, the law of the language. So whether you are all in with classical ed or you're just kind of curious or even you just want to be a better teacher, I hope you'll stick around and join us for this next podcast. To get the latest episode as well as a fun little teacher's newsletter complete with a couple of classroom freebies, please sign up for the Leading to Wonder newsletter. Or you can subscribe to the podcast directly on Apple Podcast or Spotify or wherever you listen. To learn more about me and Leading to Wonder, you can visit my website at leadingtowonder.com. No spaces. And finally, to reach out to me directly with questions or comments or even for information regarding in-house or virtual teacher training workshops, feel free to email me at darlene at leadingtowonder.com. Dot com.